This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email, the stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that? All you need to do is text the word SHOW to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 33777. Text SHOW to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Some breaking news happening right now. The United States Supreme Court streaming the oral arguments in the case against Donald Trump at the ballot in Colorado. That level of controversy. This about is Colorado's lawyer arguing that they said their side. Would send this case to the 113 procedure that we use to resolve ballot challenge issues like that. Um, and if, if another elector or the individual who brought the information didn't want to bring it, the secretary herself could bring that action. Is there a provision for judicial review of the Secretary of State's action, um, both in Colorado and perhaps what you know about other states? Well, certainly in Colorado, if any action that the Secretary takes that anyone wants to challenge, they can use the 113 process to do so. Um, I think states have varying technical argument being made specifically by the Colorado Secretary of State's lawyer. Uh, The people, the petitioners, who actually uh, tried to or are attempting to take Donald Trump off the ballot in Colorado went first uh, after Trump's lawyer. Uh, Trump's lawyer before the Supreme Court today was a solid, solid lawyer, made a very compelling argument. What was so notable is he started in kind of an esoteric area and he dragged the court into a weird area of officers of the United States and then pulled them back to, uh, by the way, Congress has never acted Uh, And in Congress acted after the Civil War on the insurrection, and they haven't acted now. Uh, And they were given the opportunity to act and chose not to. So why should anybody do anything? And it's like, bam. Uh, So then the the lawyers for those who petitioned to take Trump off the ballot tried to to argue, and it didn't go well at all. Uh, This is uh, Justice Kagan before uh, arguing. There has to be some problem. Hang on a second. Got to get this routed right for determining those questions. And then the question becomes, does anything in the 14th Amendment say that only Congress can create that process? And, and Section 5 very clearly is not an exclusive provision. It says Congress shall have power. But maybe and- put m- most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. 
In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president. Oh, that was that was just as Kagan. But wait, it gets worse. This guy was Neil Gorsuch's law clerk. Uh, Jason Murray is the lawyer who's arguing on behalf of uh, the the. Uh, the petitioners from Colorado to keep Trump off the ballot. This is his exchange with Justice Gorsuch. Keep in mind, this guy was Justice Gorsuch's law clerk. So he speaks about disqualification. This is Gorsuch from speaking. holding. Uh, sorry, everybody is, is trying to disqualified from holding office from the moment it happens. Correct, but nevertheless, so, so it, it operates. You say that there's no no legislation necessary. I thought that was the whole theory of your case. And no procedure necessarily happens automatically. Well, certainly you need a procedure in order to have any remedy to enforce the disqualification, which is I under, That's a whole separate question. That's the de facto doctrine. doesn't work here. Okay, put that aside. He's disqualified from the moment, self-executing, done. And I would think that a person who would receive a direction from that person, the president, former president, in your view, would be free to act as he or she wishes without regard to that individual. I don't think so, because I think, again, the de facto Why? officer doctrine would nevertheless come into play to say this is the No, de facto, that, w- that doesn't work, Mr. Murray, because de facto officer is to ratify the conduct that's done afterwards and, and, and insulate it from judicial review. Put that aside. I'm not going to say it again. Put it aside, okay? I think Justice Lee is asking a very different question, a more pointed one, and more difficult one for you, I understand. But I think it deserves an answer. On your theory, would anything compel a, a lower official to obey an order from, in your view, the former president? I'm imagining a situation where, for example, a former president was, you know, a, a president was elected and they were 25 and they were ineligible to no, hold office, but no, nevertheless they were no, put into that no, office. No, no, we're talking about Section 3. And please don't change the hypothetical, okay? I'm, please don't change the hypothetical. I know I like doing it too, but please don't do it. Okay? Well, now, the, the point I'm trying to make is He's that, disqualified from the moment he committed an insurrection. Whoever it is, whichever party, it, that, that happens. Boom. It happened. What would compel, and I'm not going to say it again, so just try and answer the question. If you don't have an answer, fair enough, we'll move on. What would compel a lower official to obey an order from that individual? Now, the point Gorsuch was getting at in this exchange, and it's the one the guy couldn't answer, that he really couldn't answer. And again, uh, John Murray was a, law, was a law clerk for Justice Gorsuch. They have a pre-existing relationship. He couldn't answer the question. The argument that Colorado is making is that the moment of the insurrection, under the language of the 14th Amendment, uh, Donald Trump is ineligible to serve in office in the United States of America, the specific language of Section 3. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any other state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as any executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. Congress may remove such a disability. Gorsuch's point is that the way Colorado is arguing this is that it is self-executing. The moment someone 
engages in an insurrection, they are ineligible to serve as an officer of the United States. And so Gorsuch is saying, well, if you're arguing he committed an insurrection on January 6th, then why was he still president on January 7th? Because your argument is the moment he does this, he's ineligible. So why was he still president of the United States on January 7th if he was ineligible? And the lawyer had no answer for it. He had no answer for it. The other thing, and I told you all this was an issue. I told you when this when, when this was coming up, and people on the left completely dismissed it, and they laughed at me and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Never mind I was a lawyer. Never mind that literally my highest grade in law school was constitutional law. Literally, the highest grade I made in law school. I got such a good grade in that class, it caused people to fail on the curve. Listen to Section 3. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president or vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. It doesn't list the president there. You would think if they were going to list senator, representative, and elector of president or vice president, it would have listed president and vice president as well. And so the left's argument is, well, hold any office under the United States. That That's that's. He's holding the office of president, except there's a problem when you read the Constitution of the United States, in particular when you read Article 2, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. He shall hold his office during the term of four years. Okay? But, but, what are his powers? What are the powers of the President of the United States? He appoints the officers of the United States. And in Section 4 of Article 2, it says the President, the Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States. And all civil officers of the United States. That civil officers is language reflected in our, in in the third section of the 14th Amendment, civil officers. It's mentioned there. But Section 4 of Article 2, which defines the presidency and its powers and how to remove him from office, separates the president from civil officers. The president is not a civil officer under the Constitution. He's the president under Section 4 of Article 2 of the Constitution. And the left totally dismissed that argument, and yet the Supreme Court, including Elena Kagan, is taking very seriously the fact that the president of the United States is distinct. Now, listen, this is, if you think it's just me, this is Katanji Brown-Jackson, Joe Biden's appointee to the United States Supreme Court. From rising again in the context of these sort of local elections as opposed to focusing on the presidency. Well, two points on that, Justice Jackson. First is that, as I discussed earlier, there isn't the same history of states regulating ballot access at this time. So ballot access rules to restrict presidential candidates wouldn't have wouldn't have existed. They wouldn't have been raised one way or another. Right, but I'm not uh, making a distinction between ballot access and no, anything else. Understood. Yeah. But the more yeah. the more broad point I want to make is that what is very clear from the history is is that the framers were concerned about charismatic rebels who might rise through the ranks up to and including the presidency of the United States. But then why didn't they put the word president in the very enumerated list 
in Section 3. The Bam. thing that really is troubling to me is I totally understand your argument, but they were listing people that were barred, and President is not there. And so I guess that just makes me worry that maybe they weren't focusing on the president and, for example, the fact that electors of vice president and president are there suggests that really what they thought was if we're worried about the charismatic person, we're going to bar insurrectionist electors and therefore that person is never going to rise. This came up in the debates in Congress over Section 3, where uh, Reverdy Johnson said, why haven't you included pre president and vice president in the language? And Senator Morrill responds, we have. Look at the language, any office under the United States. Yes, but doesn't that at least suggest ambiguity? And this sort of ties into Justice Kavanaugh's point. In other words, we had a, a person right there at the time saying what I'm saying. The, the language here doesn't seem to include president. Why is that? And so if there's an ambiguity, why would we construe it to, as Justice Kavanaugh pointed out, uh, against democracy? Well, Reverdy Johnson came back and agreed with that reading. Any office is clear. The Constitution says about 20 times. No, that I don't, I'm not going to that. So let me, let me, let me just say, you, so your point is that, it's, that there's no ambiguity. It, with, with, with having a list and not having president in it, with having a history that suggests that they were really focused on local concerns in the South, um, with this... Oh, that's, that's not... That's Katanji Brown-Jackson, Joe Biden's appointee to the United States Supreme Court. That's, that's brutal. That, that, that's brutal. Um, oh, oh. Uh, here's a little more from from Justice Gorsuch. Except that this court has held, you're not contesting. Oh, here we go, buffering. There are a lot of people listening to the Supreme Court. Or asking us to revisit that decision in Thornton or term limits or whatever you want to call it, that it has to come from some federal constitutional authority. No, we are not, Your Honor. Okay, and 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 here we're not talking about the qualifications clause, right? Um, nobody's talking about whether he's 35 years old or natural born, whatever, right? The, not, not an issue, okay? We're talking about something under uh, the 14th Amendment and Section 3. So that's where you have to find your authority, right? We find our authority in Article 2, in states' plenary power to run their elections. Federal election, but this is for a federal office. It has to come from the Constitution, and you're seeking to enforce Section 3. We're suggesting that in their broad power to determine them to select presidential electors in any manner they see fit, they can take account of Section 3 and apply Section 3. Could they do it without Section 3? Could they disqualify somebody for, uh, a, you know, on whatever basis they wanted outside of the qualifications clause? That would run into term limits, I yeah, think. Yeah, I would think so, right? So it has to come back to Section 3. And if that's true, how does that work? given that Section 3 speaks about holding office, not who may run for office. It was a point Mr. Mitchell was making earlier, and I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to it, because it seems to me that, that you know, that, that you're asking to enforce in an election some, uh, uh, context a, a provision of the Constitution that speaks to holding office. So it's different than the Qualifications Clause, which is all about who can run and then serve, yeah. I don't know that it is different. Okay. Other qualifications for office similarly talk about eligibility for the office. There's nothing unconstitutional about a 30-year-old trying to get on the ballot. Except for this disability can be removed, right? 
Oh, it's just it, it's brutal. And again, the distinction there, if you missed it, is we're not talking about qualifications for running for office. We're talking about who can hold the office. Running for office and holding the office are two separate things. Now, I got to see if I can find the audio, and I'm not sure I can. But but let me read for you again. No person shall be uh, hold any office of the United States who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Justice Samuel Alito asked the lawyer for the state of Colorado, would that then allow states to preclude someone from the ballot if they had given money to Iran? (laughs) He actually asked that. And the lawyer for the state of Colorado stammered without an answer. Perhaps the most relevant portion today in the Supreme Court, the arguments now put to bed, the court is now rested from the arguments, uh, is the section of the 14th Amendment that I haven't read to you uh, that has come up repeatedly in court today in ways progressives on Twitter and television said never would, and that is Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. And I quote, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. The Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, asked the attorney for Colorado. The 14th Amendment was designed to take powers from the states, not to make the states more powerful and gave the Congress the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the amendment, not the states, doesn't the argument of Colorado take power away from the federal government under the 14th Amendment, where the drafters of the 14th intended to take power from the states and give to the federal government? And his position is that, well, the states still control ballot access for the United States, and John Roberts replies But the president of the United States is not on the ballot. Electors for the presidency are. And he had the Colorado lawyer had no answer to that question. And I told y'all, I told you people that would be a big deal. And every law professor in America laughed at me for saying it. And I was right. Huge issue for Katanji Brown-Jackson, for Elena Kagan, even for Sonia Sotomayor today. The president never runs for office in the United States. Now, if you listen to Americans for Prosperity, uh, you would understand this because they've been uh, on the President Trump's side on this case because the Constitution matters and the actual legitimate interpretation of the Constitution matters. And the legitimate interpretation of the Constitution is that there is no power uh, to strip him from the ballot. And uh, uh, Americans for Prosperity has been fighting on the right side of these issues. They've been fighting for school choice. They've been fighting against Joe Biden and his energy policies and Bidenomics. They've been fighting for limited government. They've been fighting for uh, constitutional integrity in the country. You should join them, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. If you go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, you can sign up to be a constitutional conservative activist for Americans for Prosperity. They train you how to go to your next door neighbor and make a persuasive case for conservatism, how to go to your local government, your state government to advance freedom in this country. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with them today. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. The phone number 877-973-7425. Importantly, 
Uh, I have put relevant clips of the justices' arguments that I played on air today uh, with explanations of what happened inside the show notes. So we delayed pushing it out so that we could wrap up some of the argument uh, of the Supreme Court. Uh, if you want to hear those arguments uh, and you want to get my further detailed explanation of it, if you text the word DATA to 33777, uh, you can get uh, my show notes and hear those clips yourself that I played on air, among other things. And as always, get the podcast and the like. I want to actually spend a little bit of time on a relevant point here. I'm recording myself. Uh, I'm at my flagship station today, WSB in Atlanta, uh, in studio, and don't have my whole camera set up, so I pulled out my iPhone and tripod because I want to be able to get a video out to subscribers to the email of, of this monologue because it, it's important that you hear this and process it. Um, it, it this is really important, I think. Over the last couple of months since Colorado made its decision to strike Donald Trump from the ballot, there have been a number of talking heads on television, the supposed objective legal analysts, in addition to progressives who have been very adamant with a level of epistemic certainty, dogmatic certainty, uh, undeniable, unquestioned that, of course, the Colorado Supreme Court got it right. Now, these were not supposed partisans, many of them. In fact, there are a lot of law professors out there having meltdowns today. One of the most hilarious meltdowns today but by any uh, law professor is one in Georgia uh, who referred on social media to uh, Sam Alito as an a-hole for pointing out to Colorado's lawyer that he's not answering the question. That's not unhelpful. Uh, professor Siegel, a Georgia State uh, professor who is a, um, well, he, he doesn't like the conservative bit of the Supreme Court, and, and he had a meltdown on social media over this line of questioning that included uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson and Elena Kagan not being down with Colorado's uh, Colorado's position. And what you need to understand here is that this was laughably obvious to anyone not broken or poisoned by their partisanship that this was going to happen. The idea that the state of Colorado could take the president of the United States off the ballot when, in fact, presidents of the United States don't even run for office uh, under the Constitution of the United States like anyone else. I mean, the Supreme Court took that argument seriously in a way that liberal professors said they wouldn't. In fact, when I made the argument on social media and on this radio program, liberal professors scoffed. Uh, that's just not a sensical argument. That's nonsensical. No, no. The argument's very simple. The president of the United States never is on the ballot in the United States of America. He's chosen by an electoral college. When you vote for the president of the United States on your ballot, you're actually voting for the electors of the presidency and the vice presidency. And the article, the 14th Amendment precludes those people. Never says president and vice president. That's Katanji Brown-Jackson's point. It lists senators, it lists representatives, it lists the electors of president and vice president, but the amendment never lists president and vice president. And if there is ambiguity, shouldn't we side with democracy? In fact, the way she specifically answered or, or ra raised the question was, um, shouldn't ambiguity be decided in favor of democracy? If there's ambiguity, 
Why should we construe it against democracy? That's what Katanji Brown Jackson asked. And that was my point. And I got laughed at by law professors around the country. But the other point that I made that the justices took very seriously, including Amy Coney Barrett at the end of the argument today, was, is the president an officer under the 14th Amendment? Why? Because the office of the presidency does not list the president as an officer. When you look at the impeachment provision in Section 4 of Article 2, it lists the president, the vice president, and the officers of the United States. A clear distinction between the president and the officers of the United States. Another thing I raised on this program that I got mocked by progressives on social media and liberal law professors that, oh, you're clearly out of your league. This is why you hadn't practiced law in so long. Guess what? I got it right and you all got it wrong. And there is a larger issue here. Think of all the poor fools who listen to Michael Ludig on Morning Joe on MSNBC. A federal judge, a Republican judge, a conservative judge who insisted that Trump is ineligible under the 14th Amendment. He wrote columns of the Washington Post. He went on CNN. He went on MSNBC. And they used his credentials as a Republican judge who George W. Bush considered for the Supreme Court. By the way, George W. Bush rejected putting Michael Ludig on the Supreme Court for exactly what you're seeing, Ludig's arrogance and certainty even when he's wrong. That's why George W. Bush rejected Ludig. Ludig was one of the people George W. Bush vetted for the Supreme Court, and he didn't like him. He found him arrogant. And yet this is the guy who's been on television, who clips of him have been played on your radio news, and it's not just him. Look at those liberal law professor in Georgia melting down, or other law professors around the country melting down. And they're blasting the conservatives, say, Clarence Thomas, he should have stepped aside and recused himself because his wife was complicit in organizing the insurrection. As the justices pointed out today, including the progressive justices, Donald Trump's not been charged with insurrection. Not only that, but there is no legal definition of insurrection. So how can you say it? As Sam Alito pointed out, If Colorado can preclude Donald Trump for insurrection, why can't Texas or another state preclude Joe Biden for giving aid and comfort to Iran? Because aid and comfort of our enemy is one of the exclusions under the 14th Amendment. One of the issues as well is from Neil Gorsuch to his own former law clerk arguing on behalf of people in Colorado. If what you're saying is it's an immediate enactment, that the moment you've engaged in insurrection, you're ineligible to hold office, then why was Donald Trump still president on January 7th of 2021? Because if you're immediately ineligible, then you're immediately ineligible to hold office. And he was still president on January 7th. No one attempted, Democrat or Republican, to remove him from office. And if it's self-enacting, as Colorado claims, then he was not president on January 7th under their argument. And the guy had no answer for it. He had no completely unprepared for that question. And that one gives away the game because the left's argument is that he was immediately, the moment, the moment the insurrection happened, what they claim is an insurrection happened. Donald Trump is ineligible to be president. If that's the case then he was no longer president on the end of the day, January 6, 2021, and yet none of them made the argument then. Think of all the talking heads on television 
Think of all the talking heads on television who insisted that Trump would be ineligible. Michael Ludig was on MSNBC this morning making that case. Think of all the liberal law professors who insisted this would be the case. Now, think of all the students who are being taught by those professors. Is it any wonder so many people mistrust the media in their handling of these things? They gave disproportionate airtime, even while raising skepticism, they gave disproportionate airtime to the people making the arguments that Trump was ineligible. Progressives themselves around the country convinced themselves they had a silver bullet. And this is part of the reason why no one seems ever able to defeat Donald Trump, because they always look for silver bullets. They want that one easy thing to stop Donald Trump. And in this case, that one easy thing was the third section of the 14th Amendment. It was their silver bullet, except it's not a silver bullet. It, it's nothing to preclude them. It's nothing to stop them. It's it's nothing to stop Donald Trump. It's been remarkable to behold. And by the way, I, I should note there were some conservative anti-Trump law professors who doubled down with progressives. It wasn't just on the progressive side. There were anti-Trump law professors, I guess you could say, more than progressive professors, to be fair. And they all went down this rabbit hole that this was their silver bullet. Everyone seems to be remarkably surprised that Donald Trump keeps winning. Now, Trump candidates tend to lose. Look at 2018, 2020, 2022, 2023. Trump himself, they come after him, and he beats them. He beats them because they, they don't want to do the hard work of defeating Donald Trump. They want the silver bullet. It's easy to find that one thing. Conservatives for years wanted that one thing to defeat Obamacare, and it was um, render it no longer a tax, and it would def be defeated. And so they did that, and the Supreme Court still upheld it for other reasons. Stop trying to find the silver bullet. Stop trying to find the silver bullet. But more importantly, stop letting your partisanship define how you see the world. And this is a lesson for every one of us. Professors who hate Donald Trump on the left and the right advanced this Colorado argument and insisted it was a good argument and insisted it was a winning argument. And today at the United States Supreme Court, even the progressive justices of the United States Supreme Court destroyed that argument. Katanji Brown-Jackson crushed the argument. Elena Kagan crushed the argument. Even Sonia Sotomayor, who started out seemingly on the side of, of Colorado by the end of it, was openly questioning the sanity of Colorado's position. And yet so many law professors who hate Donald Trump and so many talking heads who hate Donald Trump insisted that this argument was the argument, insisted it was a sound argument, insisted they had the power to do this. And they went on television and they went into the editorial pages of the newspapers. They went into their classrooms telling their students with epistemic certainty that, in fact, Colorado could do this. And, you know, if it was just the conservative justices, they could say, well, this is all partisanship. And look at how partisan the Supreme Court has become. This could very well be a 9-0 or 8-1 decision by the Supreme Court. It could be a per curiam decision by the United States Supreme Court where they don't even sign their name to it. They just say, nope. 
But you wouldn't know that by the coverage. You wouldn't know that by the lessons learned. You wouldn't know that by the certainty of the law professors. In fact, the biggest, most striking revelation from the United States Supreme Court today is just how out of touch law professors are with the actual judicial system of the United States. Left, right, and center, anti-Trump law professors, just how out of touch they are. Just how out of touch they are with the wording and meaning and understanding of the Constitution. They have allowed their brokenness and their partisanship to shape their views on the Constitution. And even the liberals on the United States Supreme Court have today rejected them. Now, I say that today. We haven't got the written decision. But you could tell from the arguments. When Elena Kagan and Katanji Brown-Jackson are openly contemptuous of Colorado's position in oral arguments, you know where they're headed. And you would never know that by listening to the law professors. So maybe those of you in charge of law schools, maybe those of you in, in charge of talking heads coming on television, maybe you should do a better job at vetting the brokenness and partisanship of the talking heads and the professors you allow to give voice to what is and is not in the Constitution and how it functions because you've all deeply deluded and misled a whole lot of people who are going to be really surprised when they should never have been surprised that the Supreme Court of the United States says, no, Colorado, you cannot unilaterally take Donald Trump off the ballot because guess what? The president of the United States doesn't even run for office the way other people do with ballot access. Nonsensical. Now, we can move on here. Speaking of brokenness, a lot of banks in this country have been bought by progressives who want to get conservatives out of the banks and control how you run and, and how you spend money and what you can and can't use your bank account for. Old Glory Bank fills the void. Old Glory Bank is my bank. They're a conservative bank uh, run out of Oklahoma. It's an online bank, and they have so they've partnered with 85,000 uh, retail locations around the country where you can go deposit money at these retail locations, and it gets into your bank account. It works. I've used it. It works. The CVS by my house is one of them, and it really works. I can go take money for my kids' accounts as well, give it to the local retail uh, cashier, and it gets sent to Old Glory Bank and into their account. My kids who get paid a lot of cash for like babysitting and stuff, it works great for them. And there are no fees, no fees on the checking account, no fees on the on the savings account with a great interest rate. You can get loans, FHA, uh, conventional, VA, you name it. You can get loans for mortgages. You can get whatever you need from Old Glory Bank. It's a great bank. It's my bank. You can get an account set up in less than eight minutes online. OldGloryBank.com. OldGloryBank.com. It is my bank. OldGloryBank.com. Terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia, and you shouldn't let that discourage you if you're in Kalispell, Montana, or Salem, Oregon, or anywhere else because they help businesses nationwide. So First Liberty Building and Loan has been helping businesses grow since the 90s. The Frost family still in charge. They're going to stay in charge. You can develop a long-term lending relationship with First Liberty Building and Loan that you probably can't get at another bank where people shift around a lot. This family has been helping businesses grow. They want to help your business grow. If you're buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, deals like that, reach out to them. First Liberty Building and Loan. They make their own lending decisions, and they know how to help businesses grow. It's firstlibertyga.com. Firstlibertyga.com. Reach out to them. Tell them I sent you. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they can help you and be a part of your long-term relationship for lending. I want to play you this audio. This is from, again, I mentioned Judge Michael Ludig. He was on Morning Joe this morning, and this was some of what he said. This is precisely the insurrection that uh, disqualifies one under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So you're right. 
That is the only legal issue. But it's, there's such massive political consequences that although the Supreme Court ought not consider those, uh, undoubtedly they will consider them. But mm. the Constitution requires the disqualification of the former president. Not according to Elena Kagan. Not according to Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson appointed by Joe Biden. Not, not according to them. With epistemic certainty, he insisted this was an insurrection, though Trump has never been charged with one, and that it was obvious under the plain meaning of the Constitution that he should be disqualified from office. And he can't answer the same question that Colorado's attorney couldn't answer. If it is self-enforcing and immediate, then how is Donald Trump still president on January 7th, 2021? He had no answer for it. Of course, he was never asked, but that's it. The, the brokenness of these people when it comes to these things. And, and l- listen to the, the another commentator on MSNBC. I mean, my view is a little bit in between those in the sense that I'm not a lawyer, but I think the legal case that he's in violation of these things is very strong. Um, but I am sympathetic to the view that this is the wrong way to beat Trump um, for a mm-hmm. couple reasons. Uh, number one, you and I were just talking about this in the hallway. I think there has been since 2015 a fantasy of getting rid of Trump through the kind of investigations and inquests and criminal proceedings and this and that. And it is now nine years on, and none of those have actually shown the ability to protect American democracy from him. So nine years is a pretty long time to wait for our institutions to save us. They may not save us just as a matter of timing. Yeah, they may not save us. And our democracy from Trump. Um, apparently, the the left's fallback position is that uh, democracy is bad for democracy. That we should just let them decide who can be president. Uh, y'all, Donald Trump is not president of the United States right now. Joe Biden won. He is president of the United States, whether you like it or not, whether you believe he stole it or not. He's president. Uh, looks like our system worked very well. It's the people who hate America seem to hate our system and seem to at every opportunity want to question the stability of our system. And they question the stability of our system by regularly trying to destabilize our system. Maybe we should ignore them. Maybe we should ignore them.